good to be together in the house of the Lord. Amen. Powerful time of worship, right? Such a wonderful thing that when we sing praises to God, when we sing his name, that he responds. He doesn't have to respond, but when God responds, we know that he's present all the time everywhere, but when he makes his presence known, oh, we just delight in that. And so I'm grateful that God was willing to make his presence known this morning. It's such a wonderful thing. Well, glad to be continuing in our series, Everyday Saints, uh, talking about how we can make an impact uh, in the world, in our culture, right where we are in the name of Jesus. So today we'll be picking up where Pastor Doug left off. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be looking at verse 8, and we'll read through 22. All right, and it reads as follows. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to, you, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that, is, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. 
Amen. Thank God for the reading of his word. Now, there's a lot written in there, a lot of which, if you're like me, you're curious about and you want to talk about. But one of my, the statements that I most hate given by a lot of speakers and preachers when you want to know about something, they say, well, we don't have time to get into that. Well, I won't be able to get in time, we don't have enough time to get into everything in this passage, but there is something that I want to share with you this morning that I think is very important. Peter, when writing this letter, beginning at verse 8, he says, finally. Now, when he starts in verse 8 with finally, he's calling our attention back to what was said in the previous passage. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Doug masterfully lead us through that passage where it talked about the relationships of masters and slaves, employees and bosses. Uh, it talked about the relationship between husbands and wives. And this he referred to as the household code, or one of the structures of that day, and that was the household. And this is important for us to realize because household became a really launching pad for mission in the early church. And so when we're talking about small groups, C groups, what we're really referring to is the missional potential of households. And I'm going to get into that this morning, and I want you to please stay with me and follow through. When we talk about household, the Greek word used there is oikos. And uh, Paul, Peter even mentioned it in his letter, I believe, in chapter 1, saying we were built, being built into a spiritual household, a spiritual oikos, a family. We're called to be a family on mission, a family on mission. Now, you, if you've read the Bible, you recognize that the first institution that God ever created was what? The family, right? The family. He began with the family. Even when we think about the Christian faith and we think about the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, really God is inviting us into his family. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, he refers to the Holy Spirit as being the spirit of adoption. Now, when I was growing up, we used adoption as a negative term. You know, if you wanted to use it as an insult against your brother or sister, you say, hey, you know you were adopted. And we, and we meant it in a cruel way, but really, adoption is a glorious thing. See, all of us got here through parents, right? And our parents really didn't have a choice. But when Paul writes that it's been by the spirit of adoption, the glorious thing about adoption is parents get to choose to take you. And see, you and I have been chosen. We have been adopted into the family of God. It's not a negative thing. It's saying, God said, I had a choice in this, and I chose you to be in my family. You remember in the ministry of Jesus, he was ministering one time, and they said, hey, you know, your family's here for you. Uh, they think you've gone a little crazy. Your mother, your brother's there waiting for you. And Jesus, he turned around. He said, wait a minute. Who is my mother? Who is, who is my brother? except those who do the will of my father. See, even then, he was redefining what family is. Family is not, we know that family in one sense is our natural relatives, those by our natural blood. But we also recognize that our family is by the blood of Jesus, that we are all related because of what Christ has done for us. And so we are part of a spiritual family. And so the word for family is oikos, and it means household. 
And it just doesn't mean a mom, a dad, two kids, and a dog and a cat. A household was like a little business. You may have had employees working in that house. They had a common mission. You may have had aunts and uncles, or if you say aunties, you may have had aunties, you know, may have been grandparents that lived in this extended family household. And what the early disciples, the apostles, they realized is that, you know, Paul, if you read through Acts, he used to go to the synagogue to preach the gospel when he got converted. And he was met with a lot of resistance, and he had some fruit, but when he started to go and meet people in the streets, he realized something that when he met a person, it opened up the network of their household. The story of the Philippian jailer, when he came to Christ, Paul and Silas, they were praying and got, got into some crazy praise and the earthquake, the prison doors were open and the Philippian jailer was about to take his life and Paul said, hey, hey, we're all here. We didn't go anywhere. That Philippian jailer invited Paul into his household and it says that household came to Christ. It was such a different dynamic because that household became a hotbed for people to hear about Jesus. Why? Because there is no powerful dynamic like the dynamic of family. Think about it. You learned, whether good or bad, how to be who you are because of your family. You know, you're, I'm a Coleman. My dad didn't sit down and have lessons on how to be a Coleman, and he didn't teach me from the book of Coleman and says, Number one, this is what a Coleman does. No, I just grew up in the atmosphere and the culture of a Coleman family. And I learned to have that Coleman sense of humor. You know, when my brothers and I, we get together, we can be walking somewhere and we could see someone that reminds us of a family friend or somebody we knew growing up and we start to laugh and they'll be like, dude, I know what you're laughing at already. And we just start to laugh together. Why? Because... It's that family dynamic, that family culture. So when we talk about small groups and community, we're not talking about just another thing to, for you to do, but we're really talking about a household, a community, a family on mission that will help you develop identity, that will help you to grow in Christ, and that will help you to reach the lost. Now, he writes, finally, and he gives what I, call, what I like to call five ingredients to a healthy culture in a household. It's very important. The first one, he says, is you need to have a unity of mind. A unity of mind. He didn't say a unison of mind, that we're all thinking exactly the same thing. No, he says a unity, which means a harmony. Now, I'm not a music major, but... I know good harmony when I hear it. And good harmony is when you have different people singing different notes, but it forms this great sound that it all blends together. But if you have a person singing off note or off key, it really jacks the whole thing up. And some of you may be like me, where it's best that we sing solo. <laughs> solo that nobody can hear it, right? <laughs> But he's saying that we really need to have a harmony of thought, meaning that we, eat, we all need to have a mind that's centered on the gospel, a spirit-oriented thinking. We may, we may not be thinking the exact same thing, but because we're in a family on mission, our thoughts are kingdom-oriented. 
I may be coming from a, a different thought pattern, but it's still kingdom oriented. And it recognizes our uniquenesses, the way that God has gifted us to think. It's not off key, but because we're all in the family of God, we're thinking the way that God wants us to think. So he said, it's important that as a family on mission that you have a unity of mind, a unity of mind that's rooted in the gospel and led by the Spirit. Then he says, you ought to have sympathy. And this sympathy isn't like, oh, you had a rough day? Oh, I'm sorry for you. Oh, no, it's not that kind of sympathy, but it means to be with somebody with passion or with emotion, to be broken over what they're broken for. And so in a family on mission, you know, when your family is going through, you take time to hear. When your family's burdened down, you're burdened down. You share that load with them. When something breaks them, you're broken by it. Why? Because your heart wants the best for your family. And that creates this dynamic where people are cared for. What happens when we dwell with one another with sympathy or compassion? Well, what happened with Jesus? When Jesus was walking the earth in his ministry and he saw people who were hurting, who were broken, or who were ill, it says he was moved with compassion and he brought healing to them. See, we're often looking for the spiritual gifts to manifest and to move, but might I share with you one of the secrets to those things being unlocked is that we be moved with sympathy or compassion. And when we're dwelling in a, in a community, when we're doing life with others who we're a part of our culture as sympathy and compassion, where we're caring about what one another is going through, that unlocks supernatural help. It unlocks the kingdom. Why? Because we can't just make it in our own strength. And God gives gifts in the body. He gives gifts in our family so that we can share the load that each of us carry. The next thing he says is brotherly love. And this is really great because he talks about here, he's just not talking about, oh, we're supposed to be cool. No, this is the family commitment. I was sharing about my brothers a little bit ago. That my brothers, we have each other back, you know. You know, I can, my brother, he might be doing rough, he might be doing wrong, and I can talk about him. But you say something about my brother? <laughs> it's on, right? It's on. And so he's saying, look, we're a family, and we've got to let brotherly love reign here. We've got to be committed to one another as brothers and sisters. Then the next thing he says is tender-hearted. Now, these two words uh, in the Greek translate good intestines. I knew you would appreciate that. Write that down. Good intestines. I knew you would love that. But really, what, what, it's, what it's saying is tenderhearted. When we're tenderhearted to one another, it makes us feel good on the inside. When someone speaks a kind word or you're, you're going through and they speak the right word at the right time, it makes you feel good inside. Even when someone speaks truth that you, need, that you may not want to hear, but you know you need to hear, going down may be a little rough. But when it works its way down, the end result is you feel better on the inside. Now, we've all had the effect of someone making us feel horrible on the inside. And it shouldn't be within this family culture. When we are living with family, with a family on mission, 
we are so ingrained, we are so rooted deeply in the truth that when we speak to one another, when we encourage one another, when we're bearing one another birth, there's this joy of, yeah, I feel good. I could be going through a rough season, but I know on the inside it is well. I'm with people who love me. I'm a part of the family of God. It may not be going well externally, but internally I have this sense of joy and peace that in the end, all will be good. All will be well. And so we're supposed to be a part of a, a community that is tender-hearted. Then this next piece is a humble mind. A humble mind. Now, what does he mean by a humble mind? We all know that humility is thinking highly of others, even more highly than we think of ourselves. When we're a part of a family dynamic that has a humble mind, it means that we have a culture that honors one another. That even if you come in and you may make less than I make, I'm still going to honor you because I know your identity is not what you make. Our identity is in Christ. And we're part of the family. So the family dynamic controls the identity. And so I honor my brother and sister. And there's a high culture of honor and openness. And why these things are important is because the household was radical for mission. Uh, there's a book that I have here that if any of you are readers and you like to read, it's called The Rise of Christianity uh, by Rodney Stark. And here he talks about how Christianity really gained its footing uh, in the world. And he talks about the family dynamic. It was these households because households were centers of hospitality. Especially in these Eastern cultures, you invited people into your house all the time to eat and to talk. Think about this. If we had C groups here that were open and that realized that they were on the same mission that our father is on, and they would invite people into a culture that was made up of these ingredients, that would blow people's minds. A lot of times, and this is not bad, I hope you don't think I'm judging, but we meet unbelievers and we start, hey, I want to read something to you, and they have no idea what that is. I could talk to you about, let me see, I can talk to you about some Harold's chicken from Chicago. And I could tell you how good that chicken is with some mild sauce on it and just really describe it to you. And if I'm describing it to you, imagine you'd be like, uh, whatever, dude, whatever. But if I put one of them wings in your mouth, <laughs> it's a different story. It's all over. I ain't got to explain anything to you. So these ingredients create a dynamic culture that when the lost come into our households or our communities, they start to experience things that they've never experienced before. I don't know what this is, but do you, do you hear how they talk to one another? Do, do you hear how they, they love and speak the truth to one another? You know what? I, I think I just saw them fight, but what was crazy is they actually asked each other's forgiveness. What's, what's different about them? You know, I, I recall a story way back when I was in the uh, seventh grade. I had a, a friend. Um, he came to our school, and uh, we became really good friends, and his mom couldn't pick him up all the time from school. And so sometimes he would come home with us. 
And it was nowhere, being a PK, it was nowhere on my mind of sharing Jesus with this guy. I wish I would have been a little bit more intentional, but it wasn't on my mind. And he would, he would come home with us, and he'd do whatever we would do. Now, being a preacher's kid, I'm in church almost 24-7. Not literally, but it just seemed like it. So when we did, would go to church, he would come to church with us. And I wasn't thinking about it. My brothers and I, we just laugh and having a good time. And sometimes we laugh in church because in church, the funniest things happen, you know. I know we all pretend to be spiritual, but we, we all laugh at one another sometimes. And so it was years later, uh, my father had ran into him at a restaurant in the Chicago area. And he saw my dad and he was like, hey, Reverend Coleman, how are you? And they had this conversation. He said, look, he said, how's your son doing? He said, look, I just want to thank you all because you all taught me about Jesus. He said, the way that you were with your family, you all going to church, that really had a huge impact. And right now I'm preparing to go into the ministry. And I'm glad I got to see you because that made a lasting impact. Now, it wasn't us having Bible studies with the guy. It wasn't us trying to slip tracks in his pocket. You know, you've seen those tracks, right? That, and not, not that those are bad. Don't hear me. But it wasn't like we were trying to slip him in his book bag or his back pocket or every time, you know, he'd bring up something. He'd say, man, did you see the basketball game? Yeah. You know, Jesus is our winner. You know, he won. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't any of that type of stuff. It was really what we didn't know. It was the family dynamic that impacted him. And see, here's one thing about transformed people. When people are really transformed, the culture in their household or in their communities are transformed. And people step into that, and they don't know what to do. They're impacted in so many levels that they can't even articulate and really, when they get in your presence, they are in the presence of God, and it becomes an opportunity to have real, authentic, genuine impact when we are living as a family on mission. So this is, this is why this missional thing was so impactful. They saw how these early believers were, you know, they meet in the temple, but they're meeting their homes, and in their homes, it was such a powerful dynamic. And, you know, Peter, he says to them after he gives them these five ingredients to this culture, he says, look, when you're living this way, it's going to provoke people on so many levels. People will provoke, be provoked in good ways, and then some will see your goodness and they will just be upset by it. He says, but don't, don't curse them back. Don't offer reviling for the, the reviling you, you've received. He says, but bless. Because this is what you were called to do, was to be a blessing. And the mission of God has really never changed. We're called to be a blessing. When we share the gospel with someone, we call it the gospel because it's good news. It's a blessing. We're telling them how they can be blessed through Christ. We're actually impacting them for the kingdom. This goes all the way back to Abraham. When God called Abram and his family, one of the first things he says to him, he says, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And then in you, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. 
That was the mission that Abraham had. Now we know that it's through the lineage of and the Jesus that all families of the earth are blessed. But you, when Jesus had his disciples, he told them when he sent them out on a mission, he said, I want you to go into these towns and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. I want you to heal the sick. He says, I want you to tell them that the kingdom of God is here. In essence, what he was saying, hey, I'm sending you in the, the authority of the kingdom, and I, what I want you to do is unleash blessing on these communities and on these people. See, that's what our mission is, is really to be a blessing. And instead of cursing, because we all get angry sometimes, we all get frustrated because people treat us a certain way and we want to let them have a piece of our mind, we have to be careful that we don't curse because we're pretty powerful people. You may not know so, but the scripture says that life and death is where? In the power of the tongue. We got to be careful with what we say. And we got to make sure that we are blessing. And see, sometimes we want to curse and unleash hell, you know, and just let hell loose. But really, God is calling us to bless and unleash heaven and let all heaven loose in our communities and in our relationships you ought to ask God tomorrow morning, God, show me how I can be a blessing. Who can I pray for today? And maybe I might need to buy somebody's meal. You never know what a person is going through, and your blessing to them may not lead them directly to Christ, but it's a step on the way. Imagine if everybody here to, to not, today said, you know what? I'm going to leave this place, and I'm going to just bless two people. If we did that, imagine how blessing would be multiplied in this city just today alone. We're supposed to create a culture of blessing. Now, he says, if you're, if you're doing good, what can anybody say about you? But recognizing human beings are human beings, he says, look, and even if they do, at least you're suffering for doing the right thing. At least you're being punished for doing the right thing. And if you're being punished for doing the right thing, you've been praying, Lord, make me like Jesus. <laughs> it just makes you more like Jesus where instead of unleashing cursing, you can say, God, I thank you that you're able to allow me to go through this. I recognize that you're in control and I will praise you and I will bless you in the bad as well as in the good. Now, there's a, a lady I want to tell you about this morning. Uh, she passed away. Many of you may recognize her. Um, her face is popping up there. You all, you all know that lady? That's Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was a nun who, within the Catholic Church, became a saint. But Mother Teresa, this little short lady, was a powerhouse. And she spent her life, she dedicated her life to reaching out to individuals who were ill, who were homeless, who were abandoned, who were poor in the streets of Calcutta. And she had a really powerful ministry. And it's interesting because at the time of her death, she died around the same time as Princess Diana. And there was all of this glorious praise for Princess Diana. And then I couldn't believe it, Mother Teresa was getting a lot of backlash. And here's a woman who, who did a lot of good, but this uh, one Hindu leader, 
I can't pronounce his name, and I'm not even going to try, but it's listed there. This is what he had to say about Mother Teresa. He said, it's good to work for a cause with selfless intentions. But Mother Teresa's work had ulterior motives, which was to convert the person who was being served to Christianity. In the name of service, religious conversions were made. So he's criticizing Mother Teresa. He says, look, she only did what she did because she was trying to get them to Jesus. He's like, that's, that's, that's not good. Well, it's said by a person who doesn't know Christ. Because when you've experienced the unconditional love of God, you want to bless others and show that unconditional love to them. And so if this is the best accusation he's got against Mother Teresa, then praise the name of the Lord. This is what we were called to. We were called to be a blessing. And he says, so that you may obtain a blessing. Another translation says, so that you may inherit a blessing. This really means so that we continue to walk in blessing. We're always being blessed by God. And so when we're blessed, we just keep blessing and we keep the flow going. All of the time, the blessing is not just for me to enjoy, but I'm meant to be a conduit through which the blessing can flow through me to others to make an impact. And he says, look, he says, if people are going to say things about you because of the way that you're living your life, he says, you only need to be prepared to give an answer. He says, look, have no fear of them. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. So you're on trial for doing good works, and they say, hey, why are you doing what you're doing? Or what provokes you to live this way? You give them the why. And the why is for you to share your story. The most powerful weapon that you have is by sharing not what Christ did for Pastor Doug, not what Christ did for Pastor G, although sometimes those may be very good things to share, but what has he done for you? What has he done for you? And it doesn't always have to be what he did for you in 1977. It could be what has he did for me yesterday? Because when you begin to share how God has been good to you, how he has looked out for you, how he's shown up for you, when you begin to share that with others, others will be moved by the power of God. We are backed by the kingdom of heaven. And so when we are living in this family on mission, when we're a part of a group and we say, you know what, we're going to be on kingdom mission together. We're going to have a cultural dynamic that when other people come to our family gatherings, they're going to be impacted by the kingdom. See, it's not always for you. Yes, we find strength in communities like that. We find encouragement. But when we open that up and we invite people into that dynamic, huh, man, that's when the magic happens. That's when it happens. People begin to experience the goodness of God on levels they never imagined. Let's pray. Father, um, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this dynamic life that you've called us to. Thank you that, um, that there is something when we gather as family. 
Your word has always been clear that those who are alone, you place them in families. Doesn't matter where we are in life, we all need family, God. And I pray that we would feel the tug to really gather as family outside of Sunday mornings as your body. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of those who need to know you. That they would experience the kingdom. And that we would move from just saying that we are blessed people to we are people who are unleashing blessing on our neighbors, our friends, and everyone that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we just agree that uh, Pastor G is a blessing? Hey, uh, we have some news we need to share with you, um, and this news is uh, both comes with some grief and some joy, and we'll explain that, but uh, Pastor G has made a decision for his family, and you need to hear about it from him. All right, family. All right, so stop, 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 stop. Let me share this. This is, it's sad, but it's good. Um, about two months ago, I was contacted by a professor uh, from my alma mater, Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester, New York. And um, he had just said that the college was seeking a campus pastor. In the past, they've had chaplains, but the spiritual climate of the campus has been on a downward spiral. And they wanted someone who can help encourage the faculty and staff as well as the students. And he said, is this, if this is something you're interested in, let's talk about it. Shared it with my wife. Uh, we began to, to pray and, and talk about it, share with it with Pastor Doug and eventually the elders, and we began to pray. And it's been a process of really praying and wrestling. And uh, it wasn't something where I was looking to leave. Uh, you all have been such a blessing to me and my family. Um, this has just been a, a wonderful experience being here. Uh, I've had the opportunity to just be, be a part of grace. And, um, and so I have chosen to accept that position. Next weekend will be my last official uh, time on staff, however you want to say that. But I'll always be a part of the Grace family. And so please. Thank you. Thank you all, and please keep me and my family in your prayers as we begin this new venture. And uh, we're just missionaries from grace. So yeah. So we are. Uh, we'll make a, a big deal. We'll embarrass the rest of the family next week. Jess is looking forward to that. Um, you know, I just want to share with you. Uh, we've had a few weeks to process this. Uh, G came to me right away, and we just began to pray. Your will be done that we want to be in the center of God's will. Um, I was pretty sure God's will was that she would stay, but I just prayed your will be done, and God had something else in mind. So uh, 
we just know God's in this. It's a wonderful opportunity for them. Not what I would have planned, um, but you know, the scriptures are clear. Uh, man makes this, the plans, but God directs the steps, and we know that God is in this, and they're gonna really blossom. And this is just what God does at Grace. He brings people uh, for us to receive from them and for us to pour into them, and then sends them out to have an impact in the kingdom. So Gio uh, will be preaching again next week, so you wanna make sure you come back uh, for that, and then we'll just uh, anoint and uh, send and love on him. So let's pray right now. Lord, I just thank you uh, for the Coleman's. I thank you for uh, their friendship, I thank you for their uh, ministry. I thank you for their hearts for you. I thank you for their passion. I thank you for their six beautiful children. Uh, I thank you that uh, G found us on that website a few years ago and just said, this is a church I think I'm supposed to check out. And um, he has been uh, a blessing. Just as he preached today, he's been a blessing to me, to the staff, to uh, this congregation, to the sheep here. And he's just a good shepherd. And uh, we just pray uh, for this week of transition that you would uh, minister to them. It's uh, just a time of both joy and grief, and uh, we just want to enter into all that honestly. And so we just thank you for who you are. Be with the Colmans. Be with Grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Blessings. If you need prayer, we just want to encourage you to come on down, and we'd love to pray for you. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Ooh.